So from there, I'm going to go to the cha- uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Verses 1 to 8 are a parable that we've read often. And as we read it today, just uh, something that the Lord brought to my attention this morning, I'd like to share. What chapter is that? Luke 18, 18. beginning in verse 1. And he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart or give up, some say, or faint. I think the King James Version says they shouldn't faint. That's what this parable is about. Saying there is in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, or vindicate her, lest by her continual coming she wear me out. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? You know, there's something in this parable that kind of runs against everything, it seems to run against everything we want to hear in this parable. Because it's a parable about prayer, that we shouldn't give up in prayer. That we should pray always and just keep on praying about things and not give up. Because frankly, sometimes we get discouraged and we give up. We get discouraged in prayer. We faint. You know, we see somebody faint, they're like, ah, you know, and they, they kind of lose their way. They stop having faith about things. And they begin to plan a plan B is not God's will. And that's where we get into trouble. So this parable begins talking about this widow who comes before this judge who's not a good guy. He's a bad guy. He's a bad judge. He doesn't care. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about anybody. He's a selfish, self-serving man. The complete opposite of God. The Bible says God is love. This guy is not love in any way, shape, or form. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about anybody. This poor widow is being taken advantage of. Don't care. This widow says, you know, get justice for help me out here. Sends her away day after day. Get out, get out, get out. Kick her out every day. Won't do anything for her. And after a while, finally, this guy says, 
I gotta help this lady. She's driving me crazy. She keeps coming day or today. I'm tired of seeing her. I'm gonna get her out of my face. I'll just do it just to get her away from me. His motives are all wrong. And again, this is the opposite of God. And finally, he gives the woman what she wants to get rid of her. She stops bugging him. The Lord says, listen to what that guy says. And now when you come to God, the just God, the caring God, the loving God, the merciful God, he says, shall he not help his own elect, his own children, who cry out to him day and night? But here it comes, though he bears long with them. What does he mean by that? What's this bearing long with them? Why is he, Why do we have to cry out to them day and night? Doesn't God see my situation? Doesn't he know I need help now? Look at a mess, this mess, and look at that, and this need, and that problem, and this issue, and how things are such a mess here, or whatever. Why is God making me wait so long? He's bearing long with us, but why? Why is he bearing long with us? It goes on to say, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. But which is it? Is he bearing along with us? Or is he answering us speedily? When he does answer, when, the, when he says the word, it will happen speedily. But until then, he makes us wait until he's, his time now. But we say, but I don't want to wait. I can't wait. Doesn't he see what's going on here? And Yeah, he sees it. But there's a lot of layers to the onion, as they say. There's a lot that goes into this. And a lot of it, we don't readily see. Down the road, like the hymn says, we'll understand later. You know? In the sweet by and by, we'll understand things that we don't understand right now. And that's so it is. And some of the things we're praying for are crucial are a matter of life and death. They're very serious. They're burdensome. They're before our eyes every day. They're like this burdensome stone. And as we've said earlier, we have to give that burdensome stone to the Lord so it doesn't take us, you know, crush us. Because we know those burdens can be crushing. And they've crushed many. But we will not be crushed if we give it of our burden to him. But what's going on? Why is God making us wait? Why is he bearing long with us? That's what it means. He's like, he's not always giving us what we want right away. A thought that we can take in this is from the book of Genesis. Is where Jacob is wrestling with an angel. I don't remember the exact reference. It came to me this morning. and I didn't have time to reference it. So it's in the book of Genesis, and I'll read it as soon as I get it. Give me a second. Not hard to find. Here it is. Genesis 
Genesis 32, 24. And in this we begin to see the answer. Verse 23. Genesis 32, 23. He took took them, I'm sorry, 24. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. For he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, which means Prince of God. For you have struggled with God and with men, and have prevailed. And Jacob answered, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he said, And he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means prince with God. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And just as he crossed over the Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. There's a couple things that we read in this that relate to what we read in the parable of the persistent widow, this persistence. We see Jacob persistent in the same way. And who is he persisting with? With God. He's wrestling with God. And this goes on until daybreak. And he gets his hip knocked out of joint. And he, can't, he holds on. He won't let go. The Lord says, let me go. He goes, no. I'm not letting you go till you bless me. And so finally, the Lord blessed him. After this wrestling. What is this wrestling with? You know, what, what is going on here that we're wrestling with? But you notice that Jacob had something happen to us and this had happened to him in this struggle. Says he went away limping. God knocked his hip out of joint. There is some brokenness going on. God has to break us of some things in our wrestling match. <laughs> what is it? What is this wrestling match? What's going on here? Think about that. The Bible says God is at work in us to do and to will of His good pleasure. To work out His will in our life. As we read last week, to conform us day by day into His image. That's the process that He's taking through. And so... God is also at work in us. And so we begin to see he withholds things in our, in our, from being answered right away because he's trying to change us. And he's using these problems in life to change us. If we always got what we asked for right away, they wouldn't have the same, it wouldn't have the same effect. God is not our Lord to just 
please our flesh, to please our desires, and to conform to our will. <laughs> he is in the process of conforming us to his will. He is not our genie. He is not our servant. We are his. And so he he's in the process of changing us. And so as we come to him, and we bring our request to him, the wrestling match, the struggle goes on. There are purposes in these problems to change us. Dan read last week about how God disciplines us for our good so that we might be partakers of his holiness, of his divine nature, that we might walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. That's right. As we pray for others and we pray for our problems and everything else, God hears us, but he also puts a mirror in front of us. Because he hears us, but he also wants us to hear him. And to submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Under his mighty hand. He bears long with us for a reason. God doesn't do anything without a purpose. He's not a nameless God. He's not. So now it's time to rest. To rest in that truth. That he's working everything out for our good. God isn't letting us down. His timing's not late. No. As we go through our struggles, he wants us to hear him. With ears that hear, and an understanding, and heart of understanding, a tender heart. And if we're not in that place, in certain areas today, as he's showing us, we have to come to him and say, Lord, help me, change me, change my attitude, change the way I'm looking at all this. Help me not to be impatient and to just submit myself to your time, to your will. I know you hear me. That's what Jesus said when he was praying. Father, I know you heard me. I know you always hear me. Now that's someone who's sure of something. Father, I know you, you've heard me, and I know you always hear me. So as we look in Hebrews chapter 12, where Dan was reading last week, Kate and I were talking about verses one, verse 1 yesterday, where it talks about, in verse 1 it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who is this cloud of witnesses? Well, it says, therefore, that means it's connected to the former chapter. And it's talking about all the men and women of faith. And they are a witness to us of how that it is people who live by faith and the reward that followed for them. They've gone on to their reward, as we will someday. He says, but since this is true, we're surrounded by such a great witness 
of brothers and sisters have gone on before us. And even the example of some who are here today, and those we've known in the past, he says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. There are things that are hindering us in this walk with God and it's saying, let it go. Let these things go. Turn away from them. Repent of them. Stop it. One of the things is sin and the other thing is weights. Sin is obvious, but weights are burdens that we're carrying. Things that we're doing that are either unnecessary we're diverting. That is going to go on and on. Look to Jesus. Look how he lived. As I said earlier, he's our role model. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. When he began in us, he, in, he has every intention of completing. He who began a good work will complete it. In us. And so, why are we reading this concerning prayer? Because this is what God is, this is what's holding it up. These weights we're carrying around, these sins we're holding on to, this self will, stubbornness, sensuality, the pleasing of the senses, carnality. Worldliness, worldly-mindedness, unloving attitudes, harshness, unloving treatment to others. There's a lot more I could say, but we all get the idea. God is having every intention of answering our prayers, but he has every intention of changing us too. So we ought to hear him because his will is what this is all about. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You see... We are in prayer about many things, and we need to be. And God is calling us to prayer, but he's calling us also to holiness. And in that process, as Dave Dan read last week, and I've already referred to today, he is a God who disciplines his children so that we might be partakers of his holiness, his holy life, not our idea of what a holy life is, but what he says is holy, separate, and undefiled. We want our prayers answered. But if we regard sin in our heart, God will not hear us. From the book of Psalms. Jesus endured the cross. We should look to Jesus in all this. The author 
and the finisher of our faith. From there we go a couple books down to 1 Peter. Chapter 1. Beginning in verse verse 4, talks about an inheritance which is incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, <clears throat> reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed or grieved by various trials, that the testing or trying of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revealing of Jesus Christ. But why do we read this so often? Because it says a very powerful thing that's necessary to be understood in our life. What a powerful message that God is speaking through Peter here. It's a short passage, but very powerful. It says we have an inheritance waiting for us, but it says we're kept by the power of God through faith. And it says we're rejoicing, but in that truth, but we're also distressed. We're grieved by various trials. That the testing of our faith, the testing of our faith, the testing of our faith. Being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revealing of Jesus Christ. Now the testing of our faith, God is using it. God is using the various trials to change us. We have talked about the refiner's fire. Because Peter talks about gold being refined in a fire here. The gold is refined or tested in the fire. And we know the story about how they refine, how they purify gold. They take a this pot called a crucible. And they put the pieces of gold, or gold ore, or whatever it is, in the fire. And they heat it up. And the fire gets hotter and hotter, and that crucible starts to glow red hot, and the gold begins to melt in the crucible. And as the gold melts, and it becomes a liquid. You have liquid gold. And what happens is, 
that all the impurities that are in that gold, they come up to the top. They float on the top. And the refiner, he skims off the impurities. And how does he know that he's done? That the purification process is done? Is that he keeps skimming until he sees a clear reflection of himself in the liquid gold. He's done. Peter uses that analogy here, that comparison right here. To under, and we as Christians have to understand what that's saying. That God is putting us, we're being tested by, our faith is being tested by fire. And the fire is the trials that we're distressed by. And he says it's, this testing is more precious than gold that perishes. This is a precious process that God is putting us through. Because, as we read last week, the ultimate goal in God bringing this fire of trials, these fiery trials into our life, is so that we reflect Christ, so we become like Him. So that we might be to the praise, honor, and glory at the coming of Jesus, because we're like Him. As, as He is, so we are in the world. Go ahead, Dave. I was just, you hit on something that I just wanted to expound on, if I could. Just mm-hmm. that, you know, our, our hope when we're, we're going through a trial is that when it's done, then it's done. That we're done. We're made perfect. You know, nobody likes going through trial after trial, but when you talk about the refiner's fire, there are many different types of impurities in gold, and each of them comes out at a certain degree of temperature. So when he begins the process and he liquefies the gold, that's at one level of heat. Then he turns it up a little bit more, and the first level of dross comes up and he skims. Then he turns up the heat more, and the next level comes out. And he does that over and over and over mm-hmm. until, as you said, you know, then the perfect reflection. But that's the part that is very uncomfortable for our flesh because we hope that our trials are over. Sometimes we see success, we see victory, and we think, oh, yep. we've, we've made it. <laughs> and that is such a deception that will end up causing us, you know, discouragement and even shipwreck at the sign of the next trial or the next trial beyond that, because this this path God has us on is one that is turning up the heat all along until the day when we come and we stand before him and, you know, see him face to face and know as we are known. I mean, it's a it's a process. Yeah. So very good. So we see in this that we're in the refiner's fire. The Lord himself is the refiner. And we are the gold that's in the crucible. We're in the fire, as Peter's saying here, his life and all of its adversity and all of its problems and all of its trials and challenges and temptations. God is bringing us into the crucible of fire and testing our faith. And sometimes we find we're not faithful. We give up. We, we, we start questioning God or we, we start getting discouraged in the fire. 
then God brings back to us, you got to trust me. He keeps on bringing back to the Holy Spirit, keeps on reminding us, you know, you got to throw away this unbelief. You got to depend completely, totally, and absolutely upon me and all these problems until every day we're leaning and we're speaking and we're embracing the good report. As we read in Philippians, the good report. Whatsoever things are of good report, we're staying there. And the process, the purpose of the process, that we may be, that our faith may be found, found to praise, honor, and glory at the coming of the Lord Jesus, that we may be completed and and strengthened in our faith to be like Jesus, to be like Him. So He sees His reflection in us. And others see that reflection in us. That is God's purpose. And spoken over and over again through the scriptures. So back to Luke chapter 18. And where we started. In the parable of the persistent widow. In verse 7 again, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Crying out to them day and night, and he withholds until his time. And he says, I tell you, you'll avenge them speedily. But he says, when Jesus when he says, when Jesus says, when he returns, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? This faith that will trust him even though he's bearing long with them. That's the question he puts to us. His disciples. But you know what's really interesting and I never really noticed before? Right after that he gives another parable. And it's another parable about prayer. And it's a guy, and it's two different guys. One of them has a humble and gracious and broken attitude, and the other one has a proud attitude and a haughty attitude. It's a man with a bad attitude coming to the Lord in prayer. So next thing is talked about after this parable, about how God pairs long with us. Mm-hmm. Verse 9, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they are righteous and they despise others. I can tell you very clearly, with this man's attitude, God is going to withhold. He's going to bear along with this guy until he changes. And because he has the attitude, the Pharisee has the attitude in verse 11, God, I thank you. That I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, or even like this tax collector. Fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. Talking about all these great things that he does, spiritual things, so to speak. And the tax collector, verse 13, standing far off, would not raise his eyes to heaven, 
For he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In this parable is revealed to us one of the things, and there, there's a, an infinite number of things, but here's one of the things that God will bear along with us about. If we're walking in pride. If we're looking at others with unchristian-like attitudes. If we're, if we're unloving towards others in the way we're, you know, relating with them. Here it is. The next thing that is talked about, that Jesus talks about, is a parable about a guy with a bad attitude in prayer. And a bad attitude towards others. And then the next thing was in verse 15 where he, they brought children to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the children come to me and do not forbid them. For if such is the kingdom of heaven, surely I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a, like a little child or as a little child will by no, in no way enter it. And now is laid out another bad attitude. These women want <coughs> to bring their children for the Lord to bless them. And one of the other accounts <coughs> of the same story says that Jesus was angry with them because his disciples, because his own disciples forbid them and rebuked them. For doing that. And Jesus stopped them and said, let them come. You know, you've got the wrong attitude. This is what the children of God is like. I mean, the children of the kingdom of God is like. And we must become like this. And so, again, he's talking more about the changing of the heart. The changing of attitudes. About how we look at things. How we look at people. How we look at situations. And then, the story, the, it goes on further. It says in verse 18, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus begins to tell him, Well, you've got to keep the, you know what the, the Word of God says, keep the commandments, you know. Because then they're, they're talking about the law, that they were Jews under the law. And he says, you know what the Ten Commandments are. He begins to read them off. And verse 21, he says, I've done this since the time I was a child. I've done all this stuff. And Jesus says, well, there's one only thing left for you to do. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now you'll be ready. He says, but the man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And you see another worldly and carnal attitude revealed. He comes bringing a request to God, to Jesus. You know, what else do I need to do? Show me what I need to do. That was his request. The Lord shows him. Oh, no. <laughs> Not that. Jesus says, oh, yeah, that. He wouldn't do it. And so, until he did that, his request will not be granted to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And he went away sorrowfully. And so the Lord himself, <coughs> as he puts us through this process, he puts us to look within. A process of self-examination. The Apostle Paul says it in Corinthians where he says, examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. Prove ourselves. The whole failure of the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt was very simple. They were told they were going to a land of milk and honey. And they thought after they crossed over that Red Sea, it was going to be a straight line arrow straight to the land of Canaan. They're going to cross over and there they were and that was the end of it. That's not exactly the way it happened. There was hunger that they had to deal with, thirst. There was uh, temptations on the way in the wilderness. There were things that happened in the wilderness. And God began to expose their unfaithfulness to him. And so it is with us. When we pray, sometimes we have this shallow expectation that it's always going to be answered right away. Sometimes it will. Sometimes God, even in the scriptures, you answer right away. That's great. Sometimes he does it. Sometimes he bears along with us. But just remember and see yourself in the fire. We're being tested by fire to remove the impurities, the areas of our life where we're not yielded, as we talked about last week, to total surrender. So that's what I have to share today. Brother Dan, comment on that. Brother Dave, any brothers? I'm excited. Praise the Lord. Great Lynn Curry. It's worth the trip. Um, this is not a gospel we hear all around the countryside. This is the meat of the gospel and I love it my flesh doesn't like it my flesh cringes but the further we go with God in this process the more we, our arms reach out and embrace this way mm -hmm. that I want more I want more because I see I'm starting to feel the benefits of this in my home, my community, people I have to do with. I'm starting to see something glorious coming out of this. And it's wonderful. I don't have to share or add a lot of what Brother Ron said. I just have to follow that. Keep going that direction. Keep going that way. Lord, strip me of all that is of me and put in there what is of you. Uh, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. It's not by us. 
not me that does it, but it's when I embrace God's treatment of me, I gain what I could not do myself. What that proud person who was thanking God for all the good things he was doing, I wasn't getting them anywhere. But down, you know. And Jesus said, the man who smote his breast and said, be merciful to me. He went home justified. And that's what has to be working in our hearts. If that's not working, we're not seeing ourselves. We're, we're missing out on what God wants to show us. Now I'm just, I'm just excited about this. This is so wonderful. I'm just want to encourage all of us. Let's, if it doesn't, if if it's not exciting for us, pray that God would help us to get our eyes open. We can see. He wants to make us like Himself, part be partakers of His glory. Amen.